Revelation chapter 3, we're going to begin reading at verse 7. So let's read the word of the Lord together. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, Lord, thank you for your presence we've sensed as we've celebrated you and as we've worshipped you. Now, I ask that you will give us ears to hear, not what the preacher is going to say, but what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. Let that resonate in our hearts today. Let it become a word that encourages, inspires, most importantly, transforms. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray, O oh Lord, for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And I especially lift up to you sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith, and I ask you to draw them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost, O oh Lord, I pray. I pray all of these things today in the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Over the last several weeks, I've been looking with you at the letters the Lord Jesus wrote through the beloved elder John to seven churches in what we know as Asia Minor. The first letter was written to Ephesus, which was the Orthodox Church. Then there was a letter to the church at Smyrna, the Suffering Church, followed by a letter to the church at Pergamum, the Compromising Church. The next letter was to the church at Thyatira, the backslidden church. Last week, I talked to you about the letter to the church at Sardis, the lifeless church. This brings me to look at the letter to the church at Philadelphia. This is the church of the open door, and it is the only church of the seven to which the Lord has nothing negative to say. For them, he has only words of commendation. 
Philadelphia was geographically situated at the gateway of the central plateau of Turkey, some 30 miles south-southeast from Sardis. Philadelphia was a place of passage for merchants moving both east and west, and through her passed a broad cross-section of cultures en route to the rest of the country. One unique feature of the city of Philadelphia was that it had been built on a major geographical fault. Consequently, the city experienced a lot of earthquakes. The citizens were forever having to race outside the city into the open spaces when they felt the first tremors in order to not be trapped under falling debris. Once the earthquake was over, they would return to the city and resume life. Now, the Lord Jesus had been walking in the midst of this church at Philadelphia, and what he saw prompted him to send them a letter. He dictated it to the beloved elder John and had him send it through the mail to be read by the pastor of the church. And as we look at this letter together, I want to once more remind you that this is more than just somebody else's mail from history that we're reading. This letter is more than a document sent to a first century church. This letter has been preserved in the canon of Holy Scripture to speak to those who will read it and hear it and follow its instructions. This letter has been preserved to teach something and to reveal truth to those of us who are living in today's modern world. So, as we turn our attention to the message of this letter, I want you to first see the correspondent. We know, of course, that Jesus is the writer of this letter. But notice, if you will, in the verses at the beginning of this letter, how Jesus introduces and describes himself. In verse 7, he says he is the one who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Now, let's look at those. When Jesus describes himself as holy, that word simply means different. It means separate from. It means distinctly pure. It means to be completely free from moral contamination. To say that something or someone is holy is to say that it is set apart from every other thing. For example, there are a lot of buildings in this city, but this building in which we have gathered today is not just an ordinary building. It is holy. The reason is because it has been set apart and consecrated for the purpose of instruction and fellowship and worship. It is separate and unique from all the other buildings around it. The tithe that you bring from your increase, the Bible calls holy, because it is to be different from all the other resources you have. The tithe is the part that is to be set apart or set aside for worship. The part set aside as a reminder that everything you have and everything you are belongs to God. If you're a follower of Jesus, do we have any followers of Jesus in the house today? I suspected that there were a few of you here. <laughs> if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are holy because you have the touch of God upon your life. That means you aren't like every other person on the planet. You are set apart. You are set apart from sin unto salvation. You are different, unique, 
called with a high and holy calling that you should show forth the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That means you can't engage the culture and you can't participate in the culture like all the others who aren't believers because you're called to be holy. Now when Jesus says that he is holy, it's a means of identifying himself with God the Father. For one of the defining characteristics of the Almighty is that he is holy. Not only does Jesus identify himself as holy, but Jesus also identifies himself as true. Now, there are two ways of understanding this, and both of them apply here. First of all, it means that Jesus tells the truth. Whatever he says, you can believe, you can depend upon it, you can rely upon its accuracy. The meaning, however, goes even deeper than that. When Jesus says that he is true, it really means that he is truth personified. He is the embodiment of truth. In other words, he doesn't just tell the truth, he is truth. You know, there are people all over the world who claim to be searching for truth. And we will let people do some pretty amazing things all in the name of searching for truth. Have you noticed that? We will allow them to try and expand their minds through hallucinogenic drugs. We will allow them to remove their inhibitions through alcohol. We will allow them to burn through one relationship after another, trying to find themselves and looking for truth. We will allow them to seek inner peace in various spiritual and religious experiences. We will allow them to take hormones and go through surgeries to transform the outward appearance of their body into conformity with the gender that they perceive themselves to be. In our culture, the search for truth is considered admirable. Society applauds people who come out and proclaim their own personal truth, even when it contradicts common sense and reason. This world will commend someone in their search for truth. But let someone stand up and say that he or she has found the truth. And that truth they have found is different from what is politically correct or culturally acceptable. And immediately everybody wants to cancel them and discount their truth. Without apology, I am here today to tell you that I have found truth. Not just a truth, but the truth. It's a truth that is universal. It's a truth that is applicable to every person, in every time, in every place. Truth isn't found in a creed. It isn't found in a drug-induced hallucination. It isn't found in an alcoholic stupor. It isn't found in a denial of biological facts. It isn't found in a philosophy or a church or a set of rules to keep. Truth, real truth, is found in a man. His name is Jesus. And this Jesus boldly stands up and declares to whosoever is sincerely seeking for truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't just speak truth. He is truth. 
when you come to know Jesus, then you shall know the truth, and that's when the truth shall set you free. Jesus is holy, Jesus is true. Then he says that he holds the key of David. This simply means that Jesus is the sovereign one. He is the one who has the final authority that no one can question. He is the one who can unlock heaven's treasures. There's an Old Testament story behind this picture of the key of David that comes from the time of the reign of King Hezekiah. It's found in Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 through 23, if you want to look it up when you get home. Hezekiah had a faithful servant called Eliakim, who was the gatekeeper to the king. No one could gain entrance into the royal palace except through him. Even though he was a servant, he had such authority that all entrances were under his sovereign control. <laughs> well, now in this letter, Jesus identifies himself as the one who ultimately holds the key of David. Jesus became a servant, but he has obtained the keys to the heavenly kingdom. And if you want to enter that kingdom, you have to go through Jesus to get to the Father. It is Jesus who unlocks heaven's treasures. It is Jesus who gives you access to the heavenly Father. It is Jesus who shows you the way. It is Jesus who is the door. It is Jesus who holds the keys. It is Jesus who determines your accessibility to the heavenly throne room. This is the one who is the author of this letter. He is holy. He is true. He holds the key of David. Jesus is the correspondent. Well, then I want you to see in this letter the commendation. In verse 8, Jesus says, I know your deeds. Behold... I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my words and have not denied my name. One of the things that just jumps out at me when I read this verse <clears throat> and when I read this description of his commendation is when Jesus says that this church has a little power. Now think about those words. This isn't a great teaching center. This isn't a great healing center. It isn't a great miracle center. It isn't even a very large congregation. They have a little power. That word power means dynamic. Even though they weren't a mega church, they were simply going about the business of being followers of Jesus. And the Lord commends them for using the power they have. Not only that, but he commends them because he says, you have kept my word. This was a church of biblical fidelity. This church wasn't given to compromise or to apostasy. This church was faithful. Even though small, this church was obedient. What a commendation. I want to suggest to you that this is the very thing that will cause the Lord to smile upon this congregation. It won't be because we pack people in here like sardines. It won't be because we have all the hype and we subscribe to all the latest practices. What will cause the Lord to smile upon this church is we, if we are people who simply keep his word. I don't know how it is with you, but I got to tell you, I get just a little tired of listening to preachers trying to preach to me their opinions. I get just a little tired of people trying to get me on the bandwagon of social issues. I get just a little tired of people trying to get me to endorse a certain political agenda. When are we going to learn that it isn't social engineering that sets people free? When will we learn that it isn't a political party platform that brings about justice? 
when will we learn that the only hope and the only help for the condition of lost humanity is the power of the Word of God? You hear me today, when people are lost, they don't need a pep talk to make them feel better about themselves. They need a guide to get them on the right path. When people are bound by sin, they don't need a happy thought for the day. They need a Savior. Somewhere along the line, people of God are going to have to stop worrying about being politically correct and focus on being word correct. It's time we stopped letting the culture around us influence what we do and started being obedient to the command of the word. It's time we stopped letting politics determine what we're going to do and started being obedient to the command of the word. It's time we stopped preaching and living by tradition and started preaching and living by the word of God. And since I'm already this far into it, I might as well go just a little bit further and tell you it's time believers stopped living by feelings and by personal preference and started living by the Word. It's time you stopped living by the opinions of your peers and started living by the word. It's time you stopped living by what is expedient and comfortable and started living by the word. It's time you stopped living by the bottom line and started living by the word. Now, if somebody's going to shout, you need to shout right there. Philadelphian church had a little power. They had kept the word. Then Jesus says they have not denied his name. Every time something happened, they pointed people to Jesus. Every time something good along, good came along, they gave glory to Jesus. When others tried to persuade them to go a different direction, they kept throwing in their lot with Jesus. And because of the com commendable things in this church, the Lord Jesus tells them that he's giving them a great opportunity. It's right there in verse 8. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Now think about that. Even though this church was small, the Lord wanted them to understand that he had set before them a great opportunity. He has opened a door. And when he opens a door, no man can shut it. Those of you who have been part of this church for a number of years and have heard the story of how I came to be the pastor of this church know that this particular verse has a special significance to me. It was this revelation about an open door of ministry that the Lord used almost 24 years ago now to make me aware of his call in my life to come to this city and be the pastor of this church. He set before me an open door and then declared that the door he has opened, no one would be able to close. And it isn't just an open door for me to live and work in this city and this church, but it's an open door for ministry. It's an open door for effectiveness for the kingdom of God. This open door that he has placed before me is also a promise of an open door for this congregation. You know, when I agreed to come to this church, I had no idea the kind of doors the Lord would open for ministry. I had no idea I would be given an opportunity to travel to so many other countries to preach and to teach. I had no idea that this church would develop with the kind of diversity 
that it has over the last almost 24 years. Just look around you at the diverse group of people that are here. Those of you that weren't here 24 years ago, it wasn't like this. Just, I'm just saying. I'll tell you something else about this open door. I recognize that I have far fewer years ahead of me as the pastor of this church than I have behind me. But there are still some open doors the Lord has placed before us in the time I have remaining. There are still some promises to be realized. There are still some heights to climb. There are still some victories to be won. There are still some bright days ahead of us. And whether you like it or not, you and I are connected. Our futures are intertwined with each other. The promise of the Lord for my life as the pastor of this church is linked to you, and it becomes a promise to the life of this fellowship. And I sense the Lord speaking to us. He's urging us to get our eyes off of where we have been. He's urging us to get our eyes a little higher than where we are right now. He's trying to get us to look to the opportunities and the possibilities that are still out there that he's setting before us. See, there are some good things here. We have a little power. We have a good reputation. We haven't denied his name. We hold fast to the truth of his word. Now we need to understand that there is a door of opportunity and possibility that he is opening to us that's going to be a door of blessing and increase and enlarging the kingdom kingdom of God. And as wonderful as the past has been, the past is not the sum total of what he wants to do in and through us. Because you see, the past is not what determines the future. What determines the future is the hand of God and the touch of the master and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit that he wants to bring to us in this brand new day that is upon us. Now hear me, I'm not just preaching to this church as a group, but the word of the Lord is speaking personally to you as an individual right now. Maybe your past has been filled with times of service to the Lord, or maybe your past has been marked by trouble and disappointment. Maybe your past has been a time when you were turned away from the purposes of God. It doesn't really matter what your past has been, quite honestly, because your past is over. This is a new day. There is a bright future ahead of you. Your past doesn't determine your future. Your future is determined by God. When he opens a door of opportunity, there is no man that can shut it. And I just feel constrained to take a moment one more time and just add in here to those of you that are, that are teachers and administrators. I just need to tell you that this coming year, look for that door of opportunity because God's got something out there for you. I don't know what it's going to be for you, but it's going to be something that you haven't even thought about. It's going to be something that you never dreamed you could go into, but suddenly there's going to be a door of opportunity opening and your first response is going to be to recoil from it. Your first response is going to be to say, oh, I don't know if I could ever do that. Listen, that's God opening a door for you. You walk through it with confidence. You walk through it with boldness, knowing that the Spirit of God is leading you. And when He opens a door, you're going to have everything you need. He will supply all the resources. He'll supply all of the, all of the things that you need in order to accomplish that that He sends you into. And also, I want to tell you this. When you get ready to step through a door like that, trusting God, if it's not God's will for you to go through it he has the responsibility of closing it okay. 
if you're open to him, if you're listening to him, when he opens the door, it may not be something that you wanted it to be. I'll just tell you, 24 years ago, coming to Jacksonville was not something I wanted it to be either. But I'm so glad that I stepped through the open door of opportunity. And I tell you, when God opens the door, just go ahead. Keep your eyes on him. Walk through with confidence. Oh, pastor, I'm not sure it's the will of God. If it's God's will... He'll keep the door open. If it's not his will, he'll slam it in your face. He will. Right now, right now while I'm preaching, he wants to fill you with more of his dynamic power. He wants to bring an increase of kingdom life. He wants to lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. He wants to increase his life lived through you that his name may be glorified. Opportunity. Understand, however, that along with opportunity, there will also come opposition. Now, we wish that those two things didn't go together, but they do. He says it in verse 9. He says, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. I wish it were not so, but when you determine to walk through the open door of God's opportunity for your life, sometimes, hear this please, sometimes the greatest hindrances will be placed in your path by those you thought were going to be the most supportive. The very ones you thought would celebrate you the most are going to be some of the ones that will be the naysayers. God gave Israel a command to possess the land of Canaan. Remember, they sent 12 spies into the land. Those spies were leaders, elders, heads of the 12 tribes. <laughs> but when the dust settled, it was those elders who wound up keeping Israel out of the promised land. The church at Philadelphia was great because they held on even in the face of opposition. See, when you have a promise from God, hang on to it. Even when they came under attack from the very ones who, who should have known the things of God the best, they kept persevering. They refused to get stagnant. They refused to cave into pressure. They continued to hold fast to the word of God. They continued to lift up the name of Jesus. They continued to believe that God was going to fulfill his promise. And because of their perseverance in the face of opposition, then you can see the outcome. He says in verse 10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Jesus says that the outcome of your perseverance, the outcome of hanging on in spite of the opposition, the outcome of walking through the door of opportunity that he opens is that you will be kept 
from maximum affliction. You will be kept from tribulation and the outpouring of God's judgment. Those who cave into pressure may have to endure those things, but not you. You've kept the word of his perseverance. He will keep you from tribulation. Hallelujah. See, even when opposition comes against you, the Lord says, if you'll just hang on to the promise, you stay steady in the boat, you just keep moving forward in the direction you know you're supposed to be moving, God says, I'll work it out for you. You, you, won't have to, you won't have to work it out. And can I just tell you, when God works it out, it's really worked out. It really is. Okay, in this letter, there's the correspondent, there's the commendation. Now I want you to see the command. Verse 11. He says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. The command is, hold fast. Serve the Lord. Don't let the enemy gain a toehold. Don't let the enemy slip in. Don't get stuck in neutral. Don't get complacent and just go through the motions. Don't let fear and doubt keep you from walking through the open door. Move forward through the open door he sets before you. There is a crown awaiting you. He says, let no man steal your crown. Finally, I want you to see the counsel. In verse 12, he says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. When Jesus says he will make you a pillar in the temple and you will not go out from it anymore, that's a promise of strength and security. Remember I told you at the front of this message about the earthquakes that were a frequent occurrence in Philadelphia? Well, during the time in which these earthquakes were prevalent, no sooner would the citizens get back to their homes than another earthquake would start and they'd have to, again, flee to the open spaces outside the city. Well, here at the end of this letter, Jesus promises to those who overcome and courageously step through the open door. He says, I will make that person a pillar. You will be steadfast, you'll be secure, you'll be strong, you'll be solid. Once you overcome and you get to that place of security and rest that lies just beyond the open door, you won't need to worry about calling the moving van. You can remain in the presence of the Lord forever. I'm telling you, the Lord can set you in a place where even though there's opposition coming from all sides, you'll have a sense of security and a sense of peace and a sense of His presence, and it'll be like, okay, it, 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 it'll be like... A, It'll be like a force field around you. <laughs> and things will come and just bounce off, you know. The Lord will do that for you. You're looking at me like you, like, Pastor, you have just lost your ever-loving mind. I've watched God do that. I've seen that happen way too many times. The, the stones and the arrows and the things that are slung by the enemy just come and it, It's almost like you're walking in a bubble of the presence of God. Think about being secure in the presence of Jesus. Think about never having to worry about being moved out of place. Think about standing strong and firm. That's the promise of the Lord to you today. You walk through that open door. You keep his word. You stay true to his name. You hold on and resist the enemy. And the Lord promises you will be steadfast and secure. You'll be a pillar in the temple of God. Well, in addition to strength and security, he promises to give you a new identity. 
He says, I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem. You know, oftentimes in the Bible, when God gave a special blessing to someone, he often gave the recipient of that blessing a new name to go with it, a name that would signify what God was doing. You remember Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Simon became Peter. Saul became Paul. So it is that God promises to give you a special blessing when you walk through the open door of opportunity, and he's going to seal that blessing with a new identity. Pastor, what will that look like? I have no idea. Don't I wish I did. I'll just tell you, he'll give you, he'll give you his own special name for you. It, it will be a name that may not be known to others now, but it will become known. And when they hear it, they'll be forced to give praise to God who caused it to come into being because they'll see that you're no longer who you used to be, but you're identified as the one who has been blessed by the Lord. In fact, I'll just go a little bit further and tell you that there'll be some people shaking their heads going, I have no idea how she got that position. I have no idea how he got into that place. Boy, it just doesn't make any sense. And they'll have to re- you'll have to realize it. it was simply God. It was a God thing that did this. God will do that. He'll put you in those places. He'll, he'll give you favor. I thought somebody would be happier about that than that. But don't, no, that's too late now. Don't worry. We'll go on. Not only is there a new identity, but there's also a new citizenship. Some of you will remember around old church, we used to sing a song that said, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. As a child of God, I want to tell you, you have a dual citizenship. Your passport may identify you as a United States citizen, but you also have a heavenly citizenship. You are a member of a realm within a realm, a kingdom within a kingdom, a city within a city. You're part of the New Jerusalem. That's your destination. That's your dwelling place. That's your home for all eternity. And then look at the end of verse 12 where Jesus says he will write on us his new name. I'm telling you that Jesus is coming back with a new name. That's the message of Revelation 19, verses 11 and 12. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. Watch this. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. His new name is a mystery known only to him. But when he comes back, we're going to take on his name. Now, you know, one of the most common customs in our culture at a wedding ceremony is for the bride to assume the name of her husband. At the conclusion of a wedding ceremony, I usually have the couple turn to the congregation, and I'll say something like this. 
And now I'd like to introduce to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. and I'll call the last name of the husband. The bride takes on the name of the husband. May I just remind you that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And when the groom comes to take his bride and we are joined together at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we are going to take his name. And throughout all eternity, we are going to be joined with him. Somebody give praise to the Lord today. I've preached long enough. Let's pray. Bow with me, please. While our heads are bowed for just a moment, I wonder if there's someone who would say to me, Pastor, you know, you're talking about this open door promise. But in my life, it just feels like every door has been shut. And you're looking for that open door. I want to pray with you today that the Lord is going to make it plain the door he wants you to walk through. that's you today you say pastor I'm, I'm looking what what is the what is the door the Lord is opening I need to be able to see that I need to discern that if that's you could I just see your hand please just hold it up for a second thank you you can put it right back down now I want to know if there's somebody you say pastor I've been given a direction from the Lord I, there's, there is an open door I see that but right now Boy, there's a lot of fear going on. And I just need his assurance. I need a fresh touch of his power, of his anointing, of his grace, of his assurance. I, I, I just need, I need that settled in my spirit so that I know to walk with confidence. If that's you, could I see your hand, please? Thank you. Thank you. Now, Lord, I'm lifting up these people to you. I pray today, Lord, for every, for every person who shares with me right now and this feels like every door has just been slammed in their face and they don't know where to turn. They don't know where to go next. They're looking for the open door. I pray, oh Lord, that you will make it plain. Make it evident. Show them where to turn, where to look. Give them a fresh sense of purpose. I thank you for doing that. I believe, Lord, that this week there's going to be some doors of opportunity opening for these people. Probably in an area that they never expected. But I just believe that you will show it to them and help them to recognize it for what it is, that it is you opening the door. And Lord, I pray for those that are hesitant to move forward in this new venture, in this new realm, this new area that you've, got, you've created a path, you've opened a door, but boy, there's so many questions and it creates anxiety and fear. I pray that you'll calm every fear and that you'll give them an assurance that comes with a revelation of your power and your anointing.
that touches their lives. Help them, O oh Lord, to be able to grab hold of your promise and never turn loose. I believe you for that today. I pray that not only for those people who have assembled in this house to worship, but for everyone who is praying that prayer with me online right now. Open doors, Lord, and give us courage and boldness to walk through those things that you open. And while you're at it, Lord, one more thing. Hmm. Keep us from going through the door you don't want us to go through. Because not only do you promise open door, to open doors that no one can shut, you also promise to shut doors no one can open. So if you don't want us going there, I pray that you just slam the door in our face, bolt it, lock it, bar it, and give us the insight to recognize it for what it is. I thank you for doing that. Thank you for hearing our prayer today, O oh Lord. Amen. Listen to this. Beyond the open door, there's a new and fresh anointing. Hear the Spirit calling you to go. Walk on through the door. For the Lord will go before you into a greater power you've never known before. That's his promise to you. Beyond the open door, there's a new and fresh anointing. Hear the Spirit calling. Walk on through the door, for the Lord will go before you into a greater power you've never known. Where he leads me, I will follow. Sing that as your prayer. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Into a greater power you've never known before. Stand with me, please. 